To address this uh, challenging topic is Kay Heimowitz. She's an American writer, researcher. She's the William E. Simon Fellow at the Manhattan Institute for Policy Research, and the author of four books, including Manning Up, How the Rise of Women Has Turned Men Into Boys, and also Marriage and Caste in America, which is going to be uh, drawn on in a subsequent session later today where she speaks together with Bettina Arndt. This is the first trip to Australia for Kay Heimowitz. Would you please join with me in giving her a very warm welcome? Thank you so much. Um, you know, in New York, our opera house just has opera and maybe an occasional ballet. So I'm really looking forward to going home and telling people that I performed at the Sydney Opera House. <laughs> They won't believe it. <laughs> um, some years ago, I started to notice something odd about the women and men being portrayed in American movies and on television. On the one hand, we saw this. Right? You, I'm sure you all recognize these, this iconic group. Um, these are probably the most uh, highly educated, most successful group of men or women ever to appear on television or the movies, and ever to appear certainly in a romantic comedy. Uh, consider, we have Miranda, who was a corporate lawyer, uh, who uh, went to Harvard, which in the United States, and I gather abroad too, means a great deal. Uh, we have uh, uh, Charlotte, an art gallery manager who went to Smith, another fine school, uh, college and university. Uh, we have Samantha, who's a public relations consultant. And then we have our uh, lovable Carrie, a journalist. Oh, that's what she calls herself, though she is a sex columnist. Now, Carrie... Samantha, Charlotte, and Miranda seemed to me a new American type, one that I hadn't quite seen on television before. Um, I began to think of her as the alpha girl, successful, confident, independent, fashionable, and of course, fit. The men, however, <laughs> struck me as kind of different, right? Um, it, so uh, here was a new persona, but not anything like the persona of the woman, one that seemed from a, uh, a different planet than the girls of Sex in the City. These were not men exactly. They're not boys exactly, but something in between. And just in case you think I was uh, just picking on one, one uh, film, and the famous Adam Sandler, who uh, I, I am convinced could not have achieved stardom at any other time. Uh, <laughs> These guys were directionless, slackers, they're screw-ups. In the US, we sometimes refer to them as basement boys, and that's, uh, na that name comes from their tendency to take up re residence in the lower floor floors of their parents' homes in the instance where it is available. I came to think of this new persona as the child man. And of course, the best known examples of the child man are in the movies of Judd Apatow. I showed you two slides ago, uh, Knocked Up, um, 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 assuming that a lot of you are familiar with it. Uh, in that movie, Seth Rogen plays a 20-something living in a filthy house with a group of grungy slackers. Well, maybe it's unfair to call them slackers because they do have an ambition, and that ambition is to start a porn website. 
In fact, the child man could not exist without new forms of leisure, many of them enabled by technology, video games, internet porn, sci-fi movies, and in the US at any rate, television networks devoted entirely to his pleasure. I wrote an article about the child man in uh, City Journal, which is my um, uh, home base at the Manhattan Institute, uh, and I published, then I went on to publish Manning Up. And some people criticized me for relying so much on pop culture. But I knew that I was on to something when I noticed after I published Manning Up on Amazon, um, something that appeared on Amazon. You, I suspect you have this here as well, but in the US on every product page, Amazon includes a uh, feature that says customers who shopped for this item also shopped for, and then it shows you a list of things. And what I found right after Manning Up was published that uh, my customers were shopping for first and foremost the SIMA S107R-C red helicopter with built-in remote gyroscope. <laughs> uh, in fact, Hollywood was on to something, as Hollywood often is. In fact, in the United States and in many parts of the world, uh, if the mail that I've received since I've published Manning Up is to be believed, have a child man problem. But what I've come to realize over time uh, is a little less humorous, and that is that the child man problem really begins as a boy problem. Now, there are some of you who might object to the idea that there is a boy problem. After all, boys have the advantage of being male, and as we often hear, this is a man's world. In the United States, we have yet to have a woman president. Our Congress is almost 80% male. Men are over 90% of Fortune 400 CEOs. Men earn, on average, about 20% more than women. They dominate senior management in every industry and in the academy, and they are the vast majority of workers in our powerful tech sector. Every day I get a Google alert on the, uh, with the title Gender Gap. It's packed with studies and reports showing that men rule everywhere and everything, every state, city, locality, country, every career, and every labor market. So how can I say that there is a boy problem? Most of you are probably aware that with the decline of manufacturing jobs throughout uh, the developed world um, and the rise of the post-industrial or sometimes called knowledge economy, education has become crucial to making it to the middle class or if you are lucky enough to have been born there, to stay there. Yet from the earliest day, years of school, at, four, at age five or six, boys are having a hard time. Now, what, follow, what I'm about to give you are some numbers from the United States, but my understanding is that they're rather similar here. Uh, from a young age, uh, boys' reading scores are lower than that of girls, and the gap widens as they get older. Boys have more behavior problems in class in the US, they are three to five times more likely to be diagnosed with a learning disability. And they are 83% of those labeled ADD, uh, attention deficit disorder, which um, I know uh, we, haven't, uh, we seem to use a lot more 
uh, of that diagnosis in the United States, but uh, mostly for boys. They make up 70% of special education students. They are 50% more likely to be held back a grade in school. They have lower test grades and uh, lower, uh, lower, excuse me, lower grades and test scores than girls in just about every subject. And it's true that they do ha score higher in math tests, um, at least in math uh, aptitude tests, but that advantage is not working for them in school since in math grades they are falling behind. And in fact, in the US, more than a third, and I hope you can hear the italics in my voice here, more than a third of our boys fail to graduate from high school. That's quite an extraordinary number. Now it follows that they are also less likely to go to college. And um, I am going to um, tax you uh, for a few slides here with some um, charts, but I think they tell such an interesting story. So this shows the percent of all college degrees conferred uh, in the United States, uh, women versus men. And as you can see, that by about a little after 1980, uh, women and men were about equal uh, on college campuses, or rather with, in terms of college uh, graduation rates. But women kept getting to be a larger and larger proportion of the college uh, uh, population as, as males um, percentage went down. Um, only 43% of our college graduates are men. If it weren't for the fact that women don't want to go to school where they're more likely to spend Saturday night with their biology textbook than mastering the subject firsthand, their percentage would surely be lower. It's an open secret in the United States that college admission offices are handicapping boys' applications in order to ensure that their campuses don't turn into boy-free zones. In other words, many uh, of our top schools could easily fill, just about fill their classes with girls um, uh, if they were being just, uh, going just by merit. There is a similar gap in the community colleges, um, which are our two-year vocational or technical training schools. For every 100 women, 67 men earn an associate's degree. Women earn 60% of master's degree. And they've only recently made it to more than half of all PhDs. Uh, between 1997 and 2007, the number of male full-time graduate students increased by 32% compared to a 63% increase for female graduate students. Now, as you can imagine, if you have this kind of uh, school failure and problems with uh, college graduation, then you're going to see differences um, also in the labor market. That is, when men actually try to go get jobs, they're going to have some problems. And in fact, we have a very, very strange phenomenon happening in the United States that no one uh, at least until uh, I came along, and <laughs> any explanation for. Um, the uh, proportion of adult men in the labor force, that is, men who are either working or looking for work, has plunged over the past decades from 84, a little over 84% to 71% today. Um, putting, if you put it another way, our country has seen a surge of men making a complete exit from the workforce over the past 50 years. Whereas fewer than 16% of men 20 or older neither had work nor were looking for it in early 64, the corresponding share today is about 28% of the, 
Uh, remember I mentioned about 30% or a little bit more than that of our men do not graduate high school. Well, about 28% are not even uh, in the workforce. Now, labor economists um, who I often spend a lot of time puzzle reading and, and puzzling over, they love to study charts like this. Uh, and um, they tend to be a very smart group, but they've been stumped. They cannot figure out what, uh, what is going on here. They think of it this way. The market is giving very clear signals that it will re reward those who get an education. Women seem to be hearing those signals. More and more of them are going on for higher education. That is not the case for men. People have, who have more education are not only more likely to find employment, they're more likely to have stable jobs with benefits. I, this is maybe particular to the United States, but they're more likely to have uh, jobs with benefits like healthcare, pensions, and vacation in six days, and of course, to make more money and to achieve a solid middle-class life. One of our uh, top economists at MIT, Michael Greenstone, put it this way. Women hear the labor market screaming out, you need more education, and have been able to respond to that. Men have not. So there may be some of you who are secretly, or maybe not so secretly, thinking to yourselves, so what? So what if men aren't going to college? So what if young men are earning less than women? Men had their day, and now it's women's turn. But if you think about it for a moment, you'll realize that the boy problem that I've been describing here is not actually not just a problem for boys. It's a girl and a woman and a society problem. The boys who don't do very well in school, who are low on ambition, who are often impulsive and unreliable, because why not? They're not going anywhere. The boys who are even possibly uh, dropping out of the labor market are not the sort that a woman wants to bring home to meet the parents. They do not make especially appealing husbands or partners. Now, consider this dilemma uh, that I read about in um, a book by two sociologists in the United States, June Carbone and Naomi Kahn. This is not an unusual story. They describe a guy named Carl and his girlfriend, who is also the mother of his child, whose name is Lily. No, the child isn't Lily. The mother <laughs> of the child is Lily. Now, this is what they say. Carl has quit more than one job because he got fed up with his boss. More recently, he was laid off because construction work dried up during a particularly cold spell during the winter. After the layoff, he hung around with his friends, drinking and playing video games. Lily finally had enough when she found out that Carl had run up several hundred dollars in expenses on her credit card. Lily knows she will never be able to depend on him, and particularly now that she has a child, she doesn't believe she can afford the risk. She explains, I can support myself, I always have. I can support myself and our kid. I just can't support myself, the kid, and him. In her mind, Carl would get in the way of her ability to raise her child. Now, as a brief aside, I, I, I think we can and should ask why women would decide these same men are worthy fathers if they're not going to be worthy husbands. I, it's always been my presumption that uh, people would think of the father or mother of their child as the most important 
uh, decision they will ever, the choosing the father or mother of their child would be the most important decision that they'd ever make in their lives. Yet in Lily's case, it appears that she was choosier about who she should marry than who, they, who she should have a child with. I can't really explain it, defies common sense and evolutionary logic, but there it is. For Carl, yes, is a child man. Carl is in his 20s, and this is the prime years of the child man. I often refer to this period in the 20s as pre-adulthood. It's a period where uh, men, and, and actually in many cases women too, do not quite feel fully adult, but aren't children anymore. Uh, it is a, a period of uh, exploration, of working towards that first uh, important job, that, of, uh, of developing one's career, and hopefully meeting a partner. But uh, with the change in habits uh, among uh, most of the people in the developed world, uh, we have much, much later ages of marriage. Oh, excuse me, I should have shown you this before. Actually, we'll skip that and go to this. Okay, so the median age at first marriage uh, is now in the United States close to 29. Uh, and among women, about 26. You can see that big, big change from 1960. And um, the reason that that matters is that it means that there's this whole a decade, really, which is unaccounted for. You know, it used to be in your 20s, uh, you had this job to do, which was to get settled down in the romantic and domestic department. That is no longer the case. It's kind of a big question mark uh, what, what uh, your goal is in these, in these years when it comes to partnership. I gather your age of marriage is even higher, uh, actually, than ours. I think it's closer to 30. Um, so what I want to suggest to you is that boys and young men find themselves facing a predicament which is really unique in human history. And I can't emphasize this point enough. It's so easy to get caught up in our own lives in our own day and evaluate things just according to our present orientation. But in fact, the child man is something new under the sun because the situation of men in the developed world and women is something new under the sun. In the past, a boy grew up knowing he had a crucial role to play in society and in raising the next generation. Boys knew they had to become hunters, or farmers, or shoemakers, or plumbers, or lawyers, because it was the only way for his family to survive. By the time they were in their 20s, they had to become adult males capable of supporting a family, but that's no longer the case. Today, they confront women who are often richer, more together, more successful, and more confident than they are. And they sense they are simply not needed. And I only, I, I, you know, I'd say they sense it, but they actually hear it. Uh, you may have noticed the line that I had from Katy Perry on my first slide, uh, I don't need a dude, it's 2014. And remember the statement of Lily, whose story I just read to you. I can support myself. I always have. Now, it pains me to say it, but women often make Lily's point in fairly blunt and maybe even hostile terms. So, um, in the... <laughs> uh, 
these are two t-shirts that were uh, on the market for a while in, in the US, maybe here as well. Uh, the one on the left uh, was popular during a period uh, in the 90s where we talked about girl power a lot. We were very worried about the achievement of girls uh, who uh, in the past had not done nearly as well as they are doing now, as you know. So uh, this was a t-shirt that you, and well, you sometimes actually saw it in backpacks and lunch boxes and stuff like that. Uh, and then uh, this one, I have to admit, was a little more uh, of a rare sighting, but nevertheless there it is. Um, then we have something like this. Um, this is a t-shirt, another t-shirt which is sometimes given to children who um, are the product of artificial insemination, anonymous uh, donors, and um, uh, that uh, says what uh, kind of sums up some of my point here. You know, if men don't especially like being in this position, you can't entirely blame them. One young man wrote in response to an excerpt of Manning Up that appeared in the Wall Street Journal, sorry ladies, in the age of PlayStation 3's 24-hour-a-day sports channels and free internet porn, you are now obsolete. I think this, uh, this guy is mistaken. <laughs> um, I don't think that young men choose to be child men. They are people who are facing a serious um, existential problem, to use a very big word. Instead of knowing they have a vital place in the society, they grow up with a distinct impression, often based on their home life, that men are optional or possibly even superfluous, only bit players in family life. The boy problem is related, I think, to this recognition. Boys have to wonder where do they fit in, who needs them anyway. Do not misunderstand me. I am in no way suggesting that women should go back to the kitchen. Later marriage in, uh, in particular has been beneficial for women. Uh, it has led to lower rates of divorce among those who do marry. Even as marriage rates have gone down, divorce rates have as well in the United States. And it's led to higher earnings, uh, especially among college-educated women. But I want to propose that single motherhood, which is another outcome of the boy problem, has not been good for women. Single mothers don't make as much money as married mothers, and their children are less successful. In the United States, many young women in their 20s, particularly those with education, look around and decide, like Lily, that they don't need a dude. Um, you can see that in, the in their 20s, uh, young women with less than a college degree are frequently having children outside of marriage. I'll be talking a great deal more about this at a later session today. Um, we have considerable research suggesting that the fathers of these in these arrangements uh, don't, don't tend to stick around in their children's lives, even if they were living with the, children, with the child's mother at the time of birth. By the time children reach five, only about 36% of fathers who are uh, unmarried fathers live with their child, and of those who live apart, half have not visited the child within the previous month. Um, we have considerable research also suggesting that this kind of fatherlessness has an especially harsh impact on boys. 
I see I'm running out of time, so I'm going to just very briefly mention one example of a research uh, University of Chicago professors uh, who found that by fifth grade, fatherless boys were more disruptive in class than their peers from two-parent families. By eighth grade, they had a substantially greater likelihood of being suspended. Quote, the gender gap between boys and girls in externalizing behavior, and that means uh, acting out impulsively, in fifth grade and suspension in grade eight is smallest in intact families, and they write, and I, this, these are my italics, all other family structures appear detrimental to boys. Now we can speculate for the reason of why boys are having a harder time uh, than girls in fatherless families, and we could talk about that during Q&A if you're interested. But regardless of the reason, we have to conclude that family breakdown has a disproportionate impact on boys' cognitive and emotional development. So to wrap up, the implications of all this, the, the data I've been giving you, the numbers I've been giving you, the studies on the boy problem. We're facing a very destructive feedback loop. It's in the United States, it's here to a lesser extent, but could be growing. I can't tell you, I can't predict the future, but if you're following in our footsteps, it will be growing. Boys without reliable fathers in the home grow up to become men who are unmarriageable, ensuring us a future generation of hus husbandless women and fatherless sons who go on to become more, uh, become unreliable uh, and unmarriageable and so on into the future. So I'd finish by saying to Katy Perry, maybe you don't need a dude, but your son and grandson will, and what will you tell them? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Kay. Uh, I sense that you rushed a bit to the end because you thought you were running out of time. Actually, the clock's counting down, so you had oh. uh, quite a bit of time <laughs> left to go if you'd wanted well, to we'll use it. Well, I'll have more time for Q&A. Yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> is there anything that you, would, um, that you felt that you cut out, though, in terms of your basic proposition that you want to just put from this chair, perhaps, uh, to our audience before we go to questions? And um, I guess what I left out, um, it's not an essential point, but maybe one that you want to think about a little bit. The question is, well, why is it that boys are having a rougher time uh, with a lot of family instability? And that seems to be the uh, going assumption among researchers now. That is that it's not just the lack of a father at home, it's also the instability that comes with a lack of a father in the home. So that a lot of boys, or children in general, uh, are living with single mothers who, understandably, if they're often in their early 20s, go on to another partner, uh, which often means another uh, uh, stepfather in the house. His, uh, the boy's father may have gone on to another relationship and have another uh, stepmother and step-siblings. And in certain neighborhoods and communities in the United States, this goes on quite a bit. The researchers refer to it as multi-partner fertility. And it is a major problem among our poor and low-income in our uh, poor and low-income communities, and a major problem for boys who seem to have a harder time adapting to those kinds of changes. Um, what one specula speculation comes from neuroscientists who say, and you know, I think this is the science is uh, uh, still developing, and we don't know for sure. But they say that boys' brains, their frontal cortex, which is the seat of decision making and executive. 
decision-making is uh, slower to develop than girls, and it could be that it's more disrupted um, in more unstable environments. So that may be one, one way to think about why it is boys are having a harder time in these arrangements. Now, the, as I understand the argument uh, then, you're saying that uh, there is this demonstrable phenomenon of disengagement amongst young men. Yes. That it's likely that if they were to be uh, growing in stable families, this disruption and disengagement would be reduced. And that in some sense, you've, to go back to the Katy Perry quote, that um, I don't need a dude, you're saying, well, maybe you don't need a dude in the sense that you could have lots of things without men being present in your life, but you have some kind of obligation. Is that the idea to have a dude for the sake of these young men or is, it, or is that not the, the position that you're arguing? Well, I don't necessarily think of it as an obligation because I think that most human beings would like to have a partner Mm -hmm. um, in the United States, we find that uh, it's usually a husband or wife because those arrangements are much more stable in the U.S. than other uh, than than um, cohabiting relationships. Um, what I assume is that for most people, that is a desire, and I assume it based on a lot of surveys. Uh, what is it that you want? What are your aspirations, your chief aspirations in life? And almost everybody talks about a good family life uh, and, and a, a loving partnership uh, as well as children. So I don't quite see it as an obligation. Um, look, part of what's happened over the past, uh, I guess we'd say 30 to 40 years, is that the script that most people automatically followed. They didn't, they, nobody taught them in school, there's a script and you have to follow it. They just knew it. They knew that they would go through their childhood, adolescence, they would get, uh, their, they would finish their schooling, they would get a job, they would get married and have children. That was the script. That script is gone. Uh, and it's kind of make it up as you go. And without that, I'm proposing, I think a lot of men in particular have a harder time figuring out, well, what's, what is it that's expected of them? Um, for women who have a biological clock and who know that uh, they only have a certain amount of time to get this done, this uh, aspiration, which seems to be, I don't want to say universal, but... Um, most of the polls I've seen suggest that at least 80%, maybe 85% of uh, women and men would like to have children someday. Women know they have to get that, they have to get their careers underway uh, and, and they have to get a lot settled before they get to their 30s when their uh, biological clock really starts to slow down. Do you think that the extension in lifespan in, in most uh, affluent developed countries has had an impact on this? Because I imagine the dynamics for what one did in different right. phases of life when you had an expectation you might, you know, 67 might have been, sure. or the, the, the average lifespan. It's going longer and longer now right. for both men and women. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, it's certainly true that people's sense of their clock has changed, uh, their, their sense of how the script should unroll. You have this period in the 20s where... Um, most people, who, who at least those who have had an education in the U.S., and I gather here as well, uh, don't expect to be married. They have, uh, uh, I don't want to say period of leisure, because a lot of people are working very, very hard at uh, developing careers and starting careers. Um, but there is a sense of, I'm still figuring it out. 
Um, but I, when people suggest that one of the reasons that we've seen um, over the last decades uh, this uh, increase in uh, divorce and, and, well, family breakdown is because we're living longer, people don't want to stay together that long. Uh, that doesn't quite hold up when you look at the numbers because most divorces take place uh, only after, a, you know, within the first decade, let's say. And when I talked about the multi-partner fertility um, and the breakup of cohabiting couples uh, in the U.S., those happen very quickly. Those happen within the first five years of a child's life. So I don't think it's just that we're getting bored. Mm -hmm. Although, I, you know, I was thinking the other day, since we've been traveling around Australia, we keep having small plates at every restaurant we go to, which I love. But I thought, I wonder if this is people's mindset now. They're going to take small plates in romantic terms as well. But yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, we'll reflect on that a little now. As we do, uh, there are microphones either side uh, here of the auditorium, just near the doorways where you came in. And uh, it's an opportunity for you to make a comment or ask a question, mainly questions, and if you could try and keep them focused, that would be even better. So if you could just come down to the microphone, uh, say your name, and sir, you uh, first cab off the rank. Lindsay Kelly. Kay, thanks for coming to this country. That was a great chat. Okay. I'm wondering um, if the absence of male teachers the rapid decline of male teachers, particularly in the earlier school years, may also be a contributor to this particular phenomenon? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a really good question. Um, the research that I've seen on that issue uh, doesn't suggest it would make a huge difference. However, it could be that they're just looking at children who are in individual classes and maybe they have one male teacher and then they look at their performance in that class. It could be that if you had enough men in the schools, that there'd be a tipping point at which it really did seem more engaging for boys at uh, the schools. I, I think that's a really good question. And by the way, the um, uh, dominance of uh, women teachers um, is true in every country that I'm, that I'm familiar with. Mm -hmm. Thank you, over here. Hi, Kay, thank you very much. Um, my name is Niall Clerken. I was born in 70s Ireland, grew up in a nice big Irish Catholic family and um, it seemed to me growing up that all the ladies, all the girls, my sisters and my cousins were being constantly pushed to aspire by educators and by our parents to get better educated, get better educated because everything is stacked against you. There's less women in power, there's less women in high jobs, go, go, go. But the men, like myself, were encouraged in three directions, a tripartite of goals. There was sport, there was trade, and there was education aspiration. So it's no surprise to me that coming out of secondary school, that there are more women going directly into tertiary or, um, because they're, they're given a singular goal, aspire, 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 whereas the men's was quite mm -hmm. um, dispersed. And I wonder um, just if, if, if that led a little bit to what we're seeing now, which is the, the change in the rates but also, slightly tongue-in-cheek, I'd like to ask, can we not just wait for this generation of superwomen to get <laughs> all their sons to aspire, aspire, aspire? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that would that would be a, a very nice outcome of all this. Um, and um, you know, I, I would have more hope that that would happen if there were more fathers in the in the house. So, or in, and involved with their kids. So, um, to get to your other question, race is a, a really complicated series of issues. Uh, one is. You know, I, I talked about how much better girls are doing in school. Well, the fact is girls have always done a little bit better, not, not as much better as they are now. The girls just seem more uh, suited to school. I mean, that may be part of what you were observing. Uh, boys, as I mentioned before, um, and this is not a stereotype, this is something that you find uh, in the research, um, are, tend to be more physical, more restless, um, and more drawn to uh, different kinds of vocations. Um, in the United States now, one discussion we're having about how to deal with the boy problem, and it's not, by the way, described as the boy problem, but it, uh, you know, that's my uh, uh, patented phrase. Um, but uh, one discussion we're having is whether to increase the number of vocational schools, or what's sometimes called career academies, that would encourage young men who really don't want to be in school, but like to work with their hands uh, into various trades. And, you know, there are two ways to think about that. And I think your question points to this. On the one hand, you could say, well, those boys, um, they may be able to find good jobs. And by the way, there are, despite the decline of the manufacturing sector, there are a lot of jobs uh, that will uh, probably never be uh, taken over by robots uh, and never sent to China. Um, the plumbers, electricians, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and we are in need of those. Um, but the question is, are you then saying, okay, boys are being tracked into this more working class Life, whereas you're tracking, then you're saying to girls, you know, go on to, to college. Do you want to respond to that? Yeah, Is that I ju okay? I'd just like to say perhaps um, there's a different style of educating that young boys may that's still right. drive young boys towards that's service right. economy. That's right. Economy, that's yeah. right. I think that's right. Um, and this, this is something that, that educators are really beginning to think hard about in the States. Um, mm -hmm. There's resistance to it as well because of feeling that uh, well, girls are still just making their way. Um, we still do have a, a gender gap, although we can talk about that if you like. It's, uh, it's sometimes described in, in misleading ways. So there is resistance to, to thinking about that, but uh, I, I, there are those who are pushing forward. Thinking about the kinds of books boys might want to read, for instance, or the, uh, the having more recess, certainly. We've gotten rid of recess. Do you call it recess here where you go? We've gotten rid of recess in some of our schools. It's madness. It's crazy. These poor kids are sitting there for hours and hours, and the boys go nuts. No wonder they hate school. <laughs> mm. Okay, let's move across... Hi. Um, I take your point about what's happening in universities, and it's a similar trend in Australia. 60% of graduates from universities are female. However, the paucity of male graduates doesn't seem to affect them in the workplace, where um, it's very, very difficult for women to break through um, barriers once they start working in a flexible way. So we have similar statistics to the United States where less than 10% of executive positions in the ASX 200 are taken by women. We've only got um, seven female CEOs in the top ASX 200. So 
I'm saying that we should focus more on why is it that um, mediocre boys at university could seem to surpass <laughs> girls in the workplace, um, because ultimately that's where all the power gets generated. The second, I'd like you to respond to that. The second thing I'd like to say is that I work with corporates a lot who try and increase the number of women in their workplaces and they're always focusing on the women, the women, the women. You've got to be more assertive. You've got to be more out there. You've got to do this. You've got to lean in. You've got to do all of this stuff rather than looking at the patriarchal structure. So I'm saying to you, what do you say to boys to change their behaviour? Where's their personal responsibility? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've written about the um, plight of um, high-earning women and uh, what a, the, the plight of the alpha woman. Um, and when I've looked at the studies that have been done on this, what I've found is that the gap you're talking about is frequently explained by motherhood. Okay? Now, and I, I will... That is women... The fact that when they become mothers, uh, they take off time, they cut back hours. Now, in every developed country that I've looked at, and that includes the Scandinavian countries where equality, uh, gender equality is close to a national religion, um, (laughs) uh, there are uh, big differences in the hours worked among men and women. Now, one argument you hear about that is that, well, that's because men are not doing as the uh, amount of work at home that they need to be doing. And that could be, in many cases, the, true. Um, but when you look, again, at surveys, at what people want, and, and I'm judging here from um, surveys that have been done in the United States by the Pew Research uh, Organization, which is a very reputable, nonpartisan group, and they've asked this question over and over and over again, uh, throughout the years. What would be your ideal working situation? The women are far more likely to say part-time. Far more likely. There's just no comparison. Now, maybe that's all uh, the way they've been socialized. But it's also possible, I just want to throw this out there, it's possible that they really are different and have different set of interests. But, but also remember, that with the growth in the uh, numbers, the proportion of single mothers, you have women who are not in a position uh, to be sharing the work. So inequality uh, between the sexes seems to me something that we cannot take for granted is an injustice that's being done to women. I, I, uh, the closest, the studies that I've looked at in the United, I mean, I've looked at all that I can on the gender gap and what you see repeatedly is that if you control for hours worked, time taken off for children, uh, the field of of occupation, um, and any other kind of what they call observables, the gender gap almost, almost disappears. With respect though, we do have studies in Australia that demonstrate if men were asked would they like to work more flexibly, that they would like it just as much, but the career suicide that would be committed upon taking flexible work um, would mean they'd end up with um, careers just like women. 
and so they don't take it. So I don't know that it's so much about the choice of the flexibility, but rather that we have workplaces that don't cater for the new age of parenting. Yeah. And that's what we have to challenge. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I actually agree with that. I'm all for flexibility. I think that the workplaces need to do more. It's clear to me that this generation of young men who are married, not those who are not married, are more interested in being hands-on at home, more interested in being equal partners. We see that all over the United States, uh, an increasing number of young men who are, uh, 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 if not full-time dads, but you know, much more involved. So I completely agree with you. And in as much as the workplace can become more flexible, it should. However, I still do not believe you're going to find equality, of numerical equality. And I base that on the fact that in the United States, and I'm sure it's true here, when you have, let's say, a new business, you're starting a new business, there's no flexibility. You know, you've got to work your tail off. Well, it depends it on how you define yeah, it. It owns yeah. you. But anyway. Agreed, it let some other people have a go too. Okay. Yeah, it, yeah. Owns, it owns you. You know, a, a new job like that yeah. owns you. And there, you know, there are going to be women who make that choice to do that, by the way. Uh, but I think it's going to be more likely to be men. Okay, thank you. Um, hi, Kay. Uh, thanks for coming. It was really great hearing you speak. Um, I guess I'm here for purely selfish reasons today. <laughs> um, I have a boy problem. Um, <laughs> You're not going to ask me for advice, are you? <laughs> no. Um, I guess I... Sorry if this isn't overshare, but I was in a <laughs> relationship with a um, man-child for five years and optimistically thought that, you know, he'd get his shit together <laughs> and uh, we'd get married and have kids. And then, yeah, when I turned 30, you yeah. know, the biological clock kicked in and I was like, so I'm really keen to have kids. Can we talk about it? And uh, this was after about four or five years being together. And um, just to describe to you, about what it's like being with a boy child. Um, he was lying, uh, sitting up in bed and he slid down lower and lower in, <laughs> in, until only his eyes were visible above the doona and, and then he fell asleep. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, I broke up with him. Um, and so I was just thinking about this last night and I texted him and said, why didn't you want to have a baby with me? And he wrote back two words, uh, wasn't ready. And uh, he's 41. So oh. um, at this point, I'm kind of thinking that um, maybe the sperm donor is the way to go because <laughs> the thought of trying to find a man in today's environment that's not like that is just kind of depressing. Um, so I was kind of on Katy Perry's um, wavelength, which I never thought I would be, but um, <laughs> yeah, so I guess what I'm optimistically thinking is that boys these days are reacting against their own father's roles as, you know, saying, oh, my dad has such a boring life, he had to be a breadwinner straight away, yeah. I'm going to have heaps of fun, play PlayStation, play sports, not take women seriously, and this generation is just going to be like that, and then maybe the next generation is going to turn around and it's going to be normal again. Do you think that's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> That was pure gold, thank you. <laughs> I, I actually do have a piece of advice for you, and that is to write a script. <laughs> You'll make a lot of money. <laughs> 
That, thank you, that was, that was priceless. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, don't, uh, I can't say that I completely understand how somebody can reach age 41 and not be thinking about the other side, you know? Um, you know, it's as if you're never, never gonna grow, grow old. Um, I, you know, I think you found yourself a, uh, a gem. <laughs> uh, and um, I don't think it's typical of, of uh, men to reach age 41 and still be unready. Um, fortunately, I don't think it's typical, but I think it's out there. I think your observation about the resistance to becoming like their fathers is, there, I think there's something to that. Uh, I think that they, today, young people really have a sense of there's a lot of pleasure out there. I mean, there's a lot of fun to be have, having and um, in a way that I don't remember when I first was married and had young children, it just was kind of limited in terms of uh, the, uh, the pleasures that, that came with uh, unmarried life. Um, and uh, now with the kinds of traveling you can do, the... Uh, the uh, the uh, Xbox, <laughs> it's not something I've ever taken pleasure in, but I gather that a lot of men feel that way. And um, I think that the uh, it, it, some people can uh, who are not very farsighted not really have a very good sense of what life is going to, to bring you, not, not a very mindful sense of how to, a sense of how to uh, organize their lives, um, are going to fall into the trap where it's just fun. You know, and it's, and it's fun. It's, it's shallow, it's superficial, but, you know, you can also kind of in understand a, it. In a sense, you're affirming a point, saying that maybe they've looked at this older generation that didn't seem to have much fun, so they're grabbing it. Yes, exactly, exactly. I'm going to take a few people in a row, because we've only got 10 minutes or so to go, and if you're happy to get a couple of questions and you can uh, hold them You in might mind. have to remind me, but okay, yes. Okay, well, we'll see how we go. And, of course, from now on, everybody has to reveal something really profound about themselves when you come to... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I don't have any profound, anything profound to reveal. Yes, you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just wanted to refer to a point you made right at the end, which was that um, boys don't survive very well under any other family model under the, other than a nuclear family. And it seems that we're, we're studying the nuclear family here and its failings. And I just wondered if we're witnessing um, a, a switch to a matriarchal society rather than a patriarchal society, and whether or not the nuclear family survives very well in a, in a matriarchal society and whether there are other examples sort of culturally or historically where boys have flourished under uh, another family model other, other than a... Okay, that's um, great. So we'll hold that. If it was a matriarchal family, would it necessarily be a nuclear family? Are there other examples that can be done there? Yep. Yeah, my question was also towards the nuclear family that you were comparing to the single mother. And um, I suppose I wanted you to clarify um, if there were other models of a family, such as a same-sex family, that could offer the same stability, mm -hmm. um, and what your opinion would be towards then, say, a lesbian family, which didn't have the father, mm -hmm. if that would be, um, in your opinion, an issue. Mm -hmm. Okay, and we'll take another one here, because it's sort of... Hopefully I can kind of wind mine into the end of that question. Um... Beautiful planning, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wanted to, I think um, you put up the Sex and the City Girls um, and obviously that was sort of the early 2000s. I feel like the, the conversation around what women should be like now is kind of being led by the, the lean-in book um, and that sort of sense um, that women have to take on more of these 
um, I guess, characteristics as men, not only in the workplace but also at home, of around shaping their family to be what they want it to be, that kind of matriarchal um, structure. And uh, the conversations kind of move from how can we make women um, more equitable to take these ta characteristics that were traditionally male and masculine and, and that's how women can, can sort of rise up in the world. Have we taken those away from men and ha have, we, have we, I guess, sort of subsumed ownership of some of those assertiveness and that's perhaps what these, these men's children are, are, um, are, are lacking? And if so, what, what are the values and what are the, the characteristics that we need to be trying to have? Like, what's the discussion about what men can start to, to own and take? Mm -hmm. Okay, so two general categories of questions in that, that trio. One about um, matriarchy and nuclear family and then different types of family, including same-sex families mm -hmm. and what that might mean. And then secondly here, uh, is it that by women are taking on some of the traits that men have they, in a sense, mm -hmm. removed them and left the vacuum still yeah. to be filled? Yeah. Okay, let me, let me start with the matriarchal society question. Um, let me remind you that women um, who are having children on their own are less successful on average, on average, you understand everything that I'm saying here when I, when I talk about family structure is, a, is, uh, is but on, a, on average because there are, as we all know, plenty of single mother families that look better than a lot of married couple families that we know. So we're just talking about the big numbers, what it looks like on average. But if you really imagine a matriarchal society, how would that, how would that work in terms of um, women's earnings? Um, you know, they're just, there's a logistical question. How can a woman manage a home and a career and everything else that life gives you um, and expect to make as much as men, uh, uh, women who are in stable married relationships? We now have a uh, uh, pay gap, a, a gap between married and unmarried women, uh, mothers, excuse me, married and unmarried mothers. Those numbers are going, are, those, that gap is widening. That is, the married mothers are earning more than their unmarried sisters. So I don't know exactly that that can be resolved in a matriarchy. I don't see exactly how it can be. I've certainly never heard of a society that um, what, and it, it was highly developed uh, and didn't use its um, male um, labor <laughs> in, uh, in, in fairly advanced ways. So I, I, don't, I don't see how you can have affluence of the sort that we're all very used to uh, in the developed countries uh, without having a very active and uh, vibrant male labor force. And families, same-sex families? Yes, same-sex families, um, you know, uh, the, there are many that are, um, many same-sex families who are raising children now, of course, uh, and that's true in the United States as well. Um, in terms of the big trends we're talking about here, it's actually a very minor piece of the story. Um, the best studies I've seen uh, suggests that about three to five percent of the population is gay, uh, and um, a significantly smaller percent of that group 
mar uh, marries or settles in for a long-term relationship and raises, and a, a significantly smaller percentage of that group have children. So in terms of these big, broad shifts in the way we're living today, um, I, this looms very large in our thinking, but actually, um, in terms, in numerical terms, it, it, it doesn't. But I see no reason that you can't provide stability um, for for children in in, in same-sex relationships. I think that um, you know most. Uh, lesbian couples that I know of are often looking for male role models for their boys, um, and you know, Uncle Jack or or uh, Grandpa Joe can play a role. Um, the uh, jury is still out on the long-term effect of all this. We don't we don't really know uh, because it's all so new. But again, uh, the numbers are really very much smaller than than you might imagine from the media. And the final question, which is about, to, uh, not probably the right language, but women taking on or right, right. reflecting some of these values. You know, I used to think that was true. Uh, there was a point where I was working on these issues where I thought, well, you know, part of what's happening is that men see these very powerful, very competent women and think, well, who needs me? You know, what, well, I'll just fade back. I think there's some of that. Um, I do think there's some of that. But I've also been impressed with how this ge younger generation, my children's generation, um, have just said, uh, the guys have just said, no, I, you know, I like strong women. <laughs> so I, I see a, a, a great acceptance of that uh, in, the, in this next generation. I, you know, there have been some growing pains uh, in, in my, uh, my generation and maybe the, the little bit younger. But I, 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 I don't see a big problem with accepting um, that with finding a new kind of partnership uh, between the sexes in, in successful marriages, it's obviously not happening for a great number of people, particularly in the United States, among our low-income folks. Okay, I've got only a couple of minutes left, so I'm going to take two more people, only one from each side. Sorry about that for those who miss out. But if you can just be really focused and pithy. Yeah. <clears throat> Hi, my name is Julian. Um, I was just saying to my brother here, um, <clears throat> we've got a long tradition in this country of the Australian barbecue, which polarises the sexes on opposite sides of the backyard. And that seems to have <laughs> been what's uh, eventuated here. Um, you've touched briefly on uh, ideas of identity and meaning, and you just mentioned role um, in the context of role models. I'm really interested in the way, <clears throat> perhaps less empirically um, focused, um, that conversations being had by people like Richard Rohr in the States or uh, Steve Biddle, uh, no, no, no. <clears throat> more around sort of, uh, or the mythopoeic sort of reconstruction of male identity through rites yeah. of passage and all yes. of that stuff that seems to be sadly lacking in, a, in contemporary society. Do you okay. have anything to... Okay, just hold that thought about other ways that men can rediscover identity through rights of passage and things, and yes, the final question, comment. Uh, hi Kay, that was really interesting, thank you very much. Um, mine was along the nuclear family question as well, in that obviously that worked, and in the past, um, and it still works in some ways, but what I saw and what I've seen with my family and my, uh, my parents was that the fathers weren't given, or like it was like, father goes to work, there's no emotional connection with the children, right. it's about the mothers raising it, and then in society we've learned that that's not necessarily the right way. And so is it not necessarily a matriarchal thing, but something needs to change in society entirely and it's okay to have um, whoever's raising those children, that they're good role models or um, that there's children getting those things from someone, whether that's 
male, female, an uncle or an aunt, and more about the tribe versus a nuclear family, because that just didn't work in a lot of cases, mm. and it's more kind of inclusive of lots of different models versus just one model. And then along with that, that while women were being told to be educated, they were emotionally intelligent, but then men's emotional intelligence wasn't okay. educated as well at the same time, which I think is where that, a lot of that... Um, and clarity doesn't really exist. Am I making sense? Yeah, I think I think you are. So um, <laughs> no, that's no, no, sorry. I should be much more positive. You are. Um, uh, uh, so one thing about, and you have to be brief too. I'm afraid. Uh, one, one about how men come to be men different ways. And secondly, I think this interesting question, which has been behind a few, is there a different structure altogether, like the extended family or something like that, the yeah. tribe, if you want, yeah. that does some of this work? Yeah, I have to quibble with the idea that the nuclear family doesn't work. Um, that's not what the data shows at all. What it shows is that the children who are growing up in stable married homes are doing much, much better than children uh, on average, well, I should say, on average, uh, in other arrangements. So I don't, I, I have to quarrel with that and ask whether that's not something that we want to believe because we grew up and said, oh, I don't like the way my mother treats my father or my father treats my mother and therefore, uh, the, you know, the, the nuclear family is no good. Um, I think the, the data just simply doesn't show it. Um, so uh, what is the alternative? The tribe? Um, you know, tribes aren't stable. Um, tribes are nomadic. That is, people who, uh, if you have an extended network, people move around a lot. Uh, you're not going to have a stable environment for children. And the reason that that matters so much today, so much more than it has in the past, is because of the uh, need for education to get ahead in this, in this current economy. So the kids who do well in school are kids who have stable environments. And they're not going to get that uh, if they're members of a, uh, if they're being take, uh, taken care of by a tribe or a village, which is not to say it doesn't matter. Yeah, an ultra-brief yeah. comment. In so, oh, uh, as for the um, finding a new identity for men, I think, you know, um, I remember in the, uh, about 20 years ago, there was a whole movement in the United States, and this may be what you're referring to, Robert Bly, the, yeah. So the idea was, you know, men would go out into the woods and they would beat drums and they would, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what they did, actually. I like the way it automatically becomes a parody, though. That's kind I'm of... I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I guess I hadn't... It's something I hadn't really yeah. carefully looked. I have to admit. And I don't mean to... I don't like to just they make... They better fun. not. <laughs> but, but I think it reflects a real question uh, uh, that a lot of men are still feeling like, what's, uh, what is my role? What is it I'm supposed to be doing? Um, I think that... Um, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that believes in the existence and the importance of testosterone. Uh, and I think that the science is pretty settled on that. It matters. I, it doesn't have to matter across the board in every arrangement, every situation. And it matters some for some men more than others. But nevertheless, there do, I do think that there is some way that we are not appealing to certain kinds of male uh, aspirations. Uh, and I, I do acknowledge that um, uh, this, uh, an advanced society like ours is going to limit its options, like every society I think, I think the point about these things is it's to do with where structure for marking and, and your, your own uh, data around the, the way in which there's a deferred adulthood 
that's a point about structure. Yes. And this was about that's structure, right. marks for transition from that's one state point. to another. And when point. those all disappear, I think it can throw people that's right. that's out, a very out good of point. kilter. Yes. But talking of structure, we have a little bit of structure we have to stick to as well, which is time. And we are a little bit over time, so I apologise for that. But uh, with that note, would you join with me, please, in thanking Thank Clay Heimowitz.